First, I want to thank you for being part of our second session in the book of Revelation. As in each session, I want to give credit to Dr. David Jeremiah. It was his book, The Agents of Apocalypse, that led me to do this original uh, series. And I've adapted it to this session tonight. And um, let's begin with last week's topic, and it was called The Church. Why was John in prison on an island called Patmos? Why? Revelation 1-9. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled on the island of Patmos. Why? Here it comes. John words it carefully. For preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. What is the message to the church from Jesus this past week? Well, when we've talked about this message, why is John in prison? He's in prison for preaching the word and testifying about the name of Jesus. What is the message that Jesus would give to the church today? What is the message to the church in the church age? Well, to the church at Philadelphia, Revelation 3, 8, it says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus makes an announcement to the church in Asia Minor called Philadelphia, but it has application even to us today. Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know that you have little power, but he has opened a door that no one can shut. The time of the church age, the time in which the church will present the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, give a testimony. We're witnesses to the world of this truth of Jesus Christ. It's a door the world cannot shut because it did not open the door. Jesus opened the door. And he says, You, and because you have not denied my, you have kept my word and not denied my name. Two things the word and the name. John and the church were both in trouble with the world because of the word and the name. Listen carefully. John opens up the book of Revelation clearly stating that he's in trouble. He's on an island prison for the word and the name. The whole church in that day and today is in trouble because of the word and the name. And it will be in trouble until the rapture. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Tonight... The Revelation reveals part two, the martyrs. The apocalypse, which is what the Revelation means, reveals the martyrs. And I want to tell you before I read it, these martyrs are the, an event that's going to take place after the rapture of the church. Revelation 6, verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful to their testimony. Did you notice it? He says, when the Lamb opened the seal, when Jesus opens the fifth seal in Revelation, I saw under the altar of God souls, not living bodies, souls of all people who had been martyred for what reason? Because of the word of God, and they were faithful to their witness, their testimony about Jesus. Did you see all three of these? 
in John's story, in the church story, and in the martyr's story, all have two things in common. They have gotten themselves into trouble with the world for what reason? Two, the word and the name. Before you can understand the martyrs of the end in Revelation, you must understand the martyrs of the past. Let's begin with the word itself, martyr. It means one who bears witness of the truth. The word and the name. These martyrs have been martyred because of the word of God, the Bible, and the name Jesus. And they, they suffered death in the cause of Christ. In this sense, Stephen was the first martyr recorded in what we know as the New Testament. And I will refer to that this time since the day of Pentecost as the church age. The Greek word used in all cases, in all other cases other than Stephen, is witnesses. So we have martyrs and we have witnesses. Slain for being a witness. Witness of what? These martyrs have been slain for being witnesses. Witnesses of what caused them to be martyred? The word and the name. Is that new? No. The history of God's people is filled with martyrs. The history of God's people is filled with witnesses that have died because of one thing. Of their association with God has caused them to experience martyrdom. Pharaoh killed the babies of the witnesses of Israel. Let's go back. If you're going to understand the martyrs in Revelation, the souls under the altar, let's put it in context. Pharaoh killed the babies of the witnesses of Israel. They were multiplying too quick in Egypt, so Pharaoh was going to kill the babies of whom? Wh whose babies? The babies of the witnesses. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had encountered God, and because they had encountered God, they became witnesses of that encounter. And now the children of the witnesses are going to be killed because they're witnesses. They placed baby Moses in a basket to escape. Haman moved forward in Jewish history. Haman conspired to kill all the witnesses in the time of Esther and Mordecai. He's not just killing anybody. He's killing the Jewish people. Why? Because they're witnesses. Antiochus Epiphanes killed the Jewish witnesses that refused to bow down to Zeus in the years leading up to the birth of Christ. King Herod killed all the young boys born of the Jewish of these Jewish witnesses in Bethlehem in an attempt to kill baby Jesus. Do you see where it's going? Just being associated with God makes you a witness of him. And being a witness of him has always subjected people to being martyred because you're a witness. All of those mentioned before were specific attacks on Hebrews, Israelites, Jewish witnesses, the church age began with new martyrs. The Jews stoned Stephen to death. Why? Because he was a witness of God. 
King Herod put the apostle James to death, and Caesar had Polycarp burned at the stake for refusing to worship him. They refused to turn their association away from God. They refused to turn their association with the word and the name into an association with the world. And they were martyred. John himself is exiled on the island of Patmos because he is a witness of Jesus. God's chosen have always faced death because of their witness. Hitler's persecution of the Jews in Europe killed and martyred some six million Jews. Why? Because historically these people are God's witnesses. Some believe that Hitler's attack on the Jews reduced the number of Jews in Europe to less than the number of Jews that left Egypt with Moses. That's how historically relevant or significant what Hitler did as an attack upon the witnesses of God. Where does this murderous hatred come from? Have you ever wondered, why is it that just being associated with God makes you a candidate to be martyred? Why? Where does it come from? Adolf Eichmann. Let me give you an example. He was one of those that worked for Hitler in World War II. Adolf Eichmann, expressing Nazi hatred for the Jews, said these words, and I quote, I shall leap laughing into my grave for the thought that I have five million human lives on my conscience is to me a source of inordinate satisfaction. Where does that come from? What is it that just because a group of people are associated with God, they, and that association with God makes them witnesses of God, why do you hate them? Where does it come from, Satan? In fact, the word Satan means adversary. Did you know that Moses prophesied this Jewish hatred as he led them out of Egypt? God revealed to Moses the future of the Jewish people. And just their association with God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, their association with God would make them enemies of the world through Satan's power. Moses prophesied it in Deuteronomy 28. Here's what it says. For the Lord will scatter you among all the nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship foreign gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known. Gods made of wood and stone. There among those nations you will find no peace or place to rest. And the Lord will cause your heart to tremble, your eyesight to fail, and your soul to to despair your life will constantly hang in the balance why 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 in the future will the jewish people their life constantly hang in despair because your witnesses because of your association with god verse 66 your life will constantly hang in the balance you will live night and day in fear unsure if you will survive in the morning you'll say if only it were night and in the evening you will say if only it were morning for you will be terrified by the awful horrors you see around you. Kind of describes much of the Jewish existence throughout human history. Church, let me ask you a question tonight. 
Do you still want to be a witness? Do you still want to be associated with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? A witness of God. Let me be specific. Do you still want to be a witness of the Word? Do you still want to be a witness of the name? Understanding that to become a witness, associating yourself with God will bring you in direct conflict with his adversary. Maybe even a candidate to be martyred. Now, with all that background, let's ask the question, who are the martyrs? The murdered witnesses under the altar in the book of Revelation. Revelation 6, verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for, why? The Word of God and for their faithful, being faithful in their testimony. The Apostle John specifically places this scene, listen to me, in the future. When the church of Jesus Christ has already been raptured, and the dead in Christ have already been raised from their grave to meet the Lord in the air. So these martyrs are not from the church age, the age that you and I live in right now. Not from the age from Pentecost to the rapture. These martyrs are asking God for judgment on their oppressors on the earth. Listen, read the wording. These martyrs, these souls under the altar are asking God for judgment on their oppressors still on the earth. So their murderers, those who took their lives, are still on the earth. Let me read verse 9 through 11. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all those who had been martyred for the word of God and being faithful to their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred had joined them. These martyred souls under the altar are going to be joined by more martyred souls. Do you know when this is happening? It's during the tribulation. So who are they and from what time period? This scene strongly suggests that these martyrs are those who have turned to Christ. Listen carefully. These martyred souls under the altar crying out to God for judgment upon the people still living on the earth are martyred souls. They've been martyred because they turned to Christ during the tribulation period. They are not the church that was raptured before the tribulation began. After the church is taken away, after the church is caught up, God will turn his attention to Israel once more and many Jews will turn to Christ and receive their Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. I want to read it to you. It's found in Romans chapter 11. Now, you've got to understand something when you read Romans. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes the book of Romans under the Holy Spirit. 
Paul specifically is called of God to be the apostle to the Gentiles, not the Jews, to the Gentiles. Rome, Romans, is their Gentiles. So Paul is writing this to a Gentile church in the church age. And here's what he says, Romans 11. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters. Who's he talking to? Church age Gentiles. That's us. Church age Gentiles. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. Now pause. I believe that is the end of the church age. When the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. What happens next? 26. And so all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem. Who, who's coming to rescue who? Jesus is going to come with a rescue mission for Israel. When? When the full number of Gentiles has come in. I believe that's the rapture of the church. The one who rescues will come from Jerusalem and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. Now the NIV words that phrase as the deliverer will come out of Zion. And this is my covenant with them that I will take away their sins. Who's he referring to? Israel. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, enemies of the gospel. The church age message to the world is what? The gospel. But many of the people of Israel, the Jewish people, are now enemies of the good news. And this benefits the Gentiles. When would that benefit the Gentiles? During the church age. But what happens when the full number of Gentiles comes in and the church is taken away? Yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So who is oppressing and killing Jesus' followers during the tribulation? If these people are martyred souls under the altar, who's doing it? Who's oppressing, who's killing anyone who turns to Christ during the tribulation? Who's doing it? The Antichrist. By the way, that'll be session six in this series. This is the logical question many people have today. And it is a good question. If the church is the spirit of Christ on the earth today, and the church is taken away at the rapture, how will anyone come to Christ, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile? It's a good question. If the church is gone, who will be the witness of Christ on the earth to lead others to salvation? Do you know the answer? Can I suggest there will be three powerful witnesses on the earth during the seven-year tribulation? Three powerful witnesses giving a testimony of the word and the name during the tribulation after the absence of the church, the rapture of the church. Are you ready? Here they come. The two witnesses, we'll talk about that in future weeks, the 144,000 Jews that are sealed by God, and the third one will surprise you, the Bible. Three witnesses. 
three witnesses that will give a testimony to the people of the earth during the tribulation. Martyrs will become very common during the tribulation. Are you listening? It will not be unusual to be a martyr during the tribulation. How else would you explain this victory over Satan in the last days? Revelation 12, 11. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much they were afraid to die. Well, why were people... Why were people dying? Because they're being martyred. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die and give up their witness. The spiritual war between God and Satan has always produced martyrs. And that will intensify during the tribulation. The association of man with God always produces martyrs because there is another spirit an unholy spirit, the spirit of Antichrist under the authority of Satan. Psalms 44, 22 says this, but for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Yes, for your sake we're being killed every day. We're being slaughtered. Who? Anybody that's associated with God, any that, that association with God, having encountered God in some way, makes you a witness. And witnesses, we are slaughtered like sheep. Yes, it is a fearful thought, but Jesus tells us who and what you should really be afraid of. Are you afraid about the idea of being martyred because you're a witness? Martyred because you refuse to deny the word and you refuse to deny the name. It's a fearful thought. But let me put it in context. Jesus tells us who and what you should really be afraid of. In Luke 12, verse 4, Jesus says, Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who, can, who want to kill your body. Don't be afraid of those who could turn you into a martyr. They cannot do any more to you after they turn you into a martyr. What's underneath the altar in Revelation, the souls of the martyred. Can Satan do anything to their souls after they're martyred? No, he can't touch them. Jesus says, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you, and then he could throw you into hell. Satan can't throw people into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. In the tribulation. The Antichrist will tell you that you can save your life by bowing to him. Did you hear me? During the tribulation, the Antichrist will tell you, tell the world, that you can save your life by bowing to him. But in reality, Satan has always been using that same line. It's not just in the tribulation. He's saying it to the church today. You know what he's telling the church today? And I'm watching church people fall for it. If you'll surrender the word and you'll surrender the name, the exclusive way, truth, and life of the name Jesus, you can get along with the world and you'll never have to worry about the world turning on you. He's saying it to the church. Give up the name and give up the word. Martyrs are those who refuse to listen to those lies. It's not new. 
Let's go back to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. There's three characters I want to use to compare the story to. Daniel 3.14 King Nebuchadnezzar said to these three guys, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down. One more chance to turn your association with God into an association with me, King Nebuchadnezzar. One more chance to take your witness away from God's truth and apply it to the truth of Nebuchadnezzar. One more chance. I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. You'll be a martyr. And then, what God was able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, I want you to know, we want you to know, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. You know what these guys are? They are faithful witnesses. They will not trade their association with God, their connection and testimony about the reality of God for anyone or anything on this world. But what if he throws you into the fiery furnace? After the furnace is over, Nebuchadnezzar can do no more to these men. Are you ready to die for the cause of Christ as a witness to the word and the name? Would you die before you would bow to Satan? These are relevant questions in the times that we live. In the tribulation, it will be certain and sure death to hold on to this. In the tribulation, it will be certain and sure death to hold on to the word of God and to say the word, Jesus. But in reality, it is certain death to let go of either one of those today. It's just a slower form of certain and sure death. In the revelation, Jesus sends this message to the church at Pergamum. To the church, not to pagans, to the church at Pergamum. Here's what he says, Revelation 2, 12. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one that has, with, the two, with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. How would you like to live there? Pergamum, I know, you believers, that you live in the city that Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me, even in the presence of Satan. You refuse to deny me. Even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you in Satan's city, you refused to bow to Satan. Jesus writes this to the church at Philadelphia. Revelation 3.8. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. 
you have little strength, but yet what little strength you had, you used it to do what? Yet you obeyed my word, and you did not deny me or my name. When the time of the church, the church age, the time of the Gentiles closes with the rapture of the church, God will turn his attention to the Jews during the seven-year tribulation. Yes, listen carefully, because a lot of people ask me this question. Yes, I believe some Gentiles will come to Christ during the tribulation, just as some Jews have come to Christ during the church age. However, if you're a Gentile, I would highly recommend against you using that strategy. The Old Testament prophet Zechariah spoke of the Jews during the tribulation. During the tribulation. What are we talking about? A time on earth in which Jesus said, unless these days were cut short, no human life would exist. Do you really want to go into or through the tribulation? Here's what Zechariah says about the Jews during the tribulation. Two-thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die, says the Lord, but one-third will be left in the land. I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure. I will refine them like silver and purify them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say, these are my people. And they will, see, they will say, the Lord is our God. Why are they dying during the tribulation? It says two-thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die. Why are they dying and who's killing them? During the tribulation, Satan will fill the Antichrist with anger against the Jews. And Satan will be filled with fury himself. Why? Because he can read. He knows during the tribulation that his days are short. The countdown has begun. Revelation 12, 12, he can read. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror has come to the earth and the sea. What do you think the tribulation? Terror has come to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing he has little time. You see, the tribulation has a defined period. It's seven years. Let there be no doubt that those who persecute God's people now, those who make martyrs of God's witnesses now, and those who make martyrs of God's witnesses in the tribulation will become the enemies of God. Anyone who attacks one of God's children is going to face the fact that they have attacked God himself. The wrath and judgment of God will fall upon them completely and eternally on that last day. God will defend his people and he will bring justice and judgment against those who have persecuted and martyred his children, his witnesses. He's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring justice against anyone who attacks one who is a witness of him. Let me give you an example. Revelation 16, 6. Since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets 
You have given them blood to drink. It is their just reward. Those who have been responsible for the death of the witnesses are going to drink the blood of their own destruction. Revelation 17, 6. This is a reference to Babylon, who's referred to as the whore or the prostitute that took the whole world into pagan idolatry. Revelation 17. I could see that she was drunk. Who? The prostitute Babylon. A picture of pagan idolatry of the world. I could see that she was drunk. Drunk with the blood of God's holy people. Who are God's holy people? She's drunk with the blood of who were witnesses of Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. She is drunk. This pagan picture, Babylon, the great, the idolatrous prostitute, she's drunk with the blood of witnesses of Jesus. Is God going to leave that untouched? God will defend those martyred for the word and the testimony of Jesus. Let me say something. He'll defend you today. And he will defend those in the tribulation. What that defense looks like is up to him. But he will not abandon anyone who remains his witness. Revelation 18.24 says, In your streets flowed the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, and the blood of the people slaughtered all over the world. This martyrdom thing is not new, but it will intensify in the tribulation. Revelation 19.1, After this I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Praise the Lord! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true. His judgments are just. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murders of his servants, his witnesses. He's going to avenge. The Lord says, I will avenge. I will repay. He will. Let me make this as simple and clear as I can. It is the same today as it will be during the tribulation. The word and the testimony of Jesus. Let me make it clear. Some people want to look at the tribulation and act like there's a different standard than from the church age. No, no, you'd be wrong. It is the same today. The word, I'm holding it in my hand. Genesis through Revelation. And the testimony, testimony of the exclusive way, truth, and life of this name, Jesus, is not for sale. It is not up for sale. It is not open for negotiation. There is a great pressure today upon the church to go along with the world on issues. Let me give you an example. Gay marriage. Gender neutrality. Gender neutral society. The whole LBGT agenda. There is great pressure on the church to go along. But the problem is, for me to go along with that... I have to give up the word, and I have to give up the name. And I'm not going to give up the word, and I'm not going to give up the name to follow Babylon idolatry. The world is bashing the church on these issues. Why? Because the church won't go along with them. 
in their idolatry. Go along with who? Ultimately, you have to come to this question. Who's behind this whole movement, LBGT and gay marriage and a lot of the social issues, abortion, that, that are dividing the nation? Who's behind all of this? Because there's some power that wants us to go along with. Who is that power? Revelation 6, 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw on the altar the souls of all, souls of all who had been martyred for the word and for being faithful to their testimony. Satan is behind everything that leads to death. He wants us to think that if we'll go along, we'll save our lives. But going along is the forfeiture of your life. Let me show you the wording of that same verse, Revelation 6-9, from the New American Standard. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God and because of their testimony which they had maintained. Which they had maintained. Which they had maintained. You and I must maintain the word and the testimony. How long? Until you stop breathing. If anyone trades these two for the acceptance of the world, you have traded life for death. Do you understand? If you surrender the Word of God, which is your association with God? The Word of God and the name of Christ is your association with God. And if you'll trade that for acceptance of the world, you're trading life for death. It's like Esau trading the rights of the firstborn for a bowl of soup. It's a terrible trade. Jesus promises that, he, that there will be a generation. Listen, there will be a generation. These are the words of Christ. He promises there's going to be a generation that's going to escape the tribulation because they refuse to trade the word and the name for the pleasures of sin for a season. Satan is a deceiver, and he will try to get believers to go along, but to go along will mean you must deny the word and the testimony of Jesus. You're denying the truth, and let there be no doubt, when you deny the truth, I'm going to hold it up, when you deny the truth, the truth has a name. Jesus, you're denying him. The author of life himself. Some, let's, let's stop for a moment. Let's be real. Let's be real. In this room tonight, there are some that have already done it. Your life has already denied the word and denied the name. But I've got some good news. There is still time for forgiveness. God is rich in mercy and grace. Through repentance, all of that past can be wiped away. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. At some point in our life, we've all abandoned the word and the name. But repentance is turning around and then connecting our association with God again through that word, through that name by faith. It's called repentance, and repentance brings forgiveness. This promise of deliverance from the tribulation was in Jesus' message to the church at Philadelphia. I love this particular letter to the one of the seven churches. Let me read it to you. Revelation 3, 7. 
Jesus told John, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones that I love. One day they're going to acknowledge it. Maybe not in this life, but one day. Verse 10, here comes the promise. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere. Persevere in what? You never gave up the word in the name. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I, Jesus, will protect you, faithful witnesses, from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to the world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. And all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they'll be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. There will be a rapture. There will be a time, a season of people who will be caught up in the air. And listen, there will be many who are left behind to endure the great tribulation, the great time of testing that's going to come upon the whole world described by Jesus in Revelation to the church at Philadelphia. And that time of testing is to see where you belong. God will turn his attention after the rapture to the Jews and 144,000 sealed Jewish preachers will go out to testify about Jesus. That'll be our next topic, by the way. Followed by two witnesses, two witnesses, powerful witnesses, 144,000 Jewish witnesses after the rapture of the church and then two Witnesses follow them. That'll be the next session after the 144,000. They all have supernatural powers. And listen, listen to me. They will all be carrying Bibles that the raptured faithful left behind on the earth. Anyone who turns to Christ during the tribulation will come under swift persecution. Many will be martyred because they hold tightly to the word and the testimony of Jesus. And their martyred souls will be ushered into the presence of God under the altar, and they will cry out to God. There they will cry out for justice and vengeance from God to those who persecute their fellow believers on the earth. As I read it again, I want you to notice their cry for vengeance. That might surprise some of you. These martyred souls under the altar during the tribulation are crying out for vengeance. It's very different than the first martyr, Stephen, which leads me again to believe that these are not martyrs from the church age, but martyrs from the great tribulation after the rapture of the church. 
Let's start with Stephen, the first recorded martyr in the church age. Did he cry for vengeance as they were killing him? Let's look. Acts 7, verse 59. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Is he crying for vengeance? No, 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 no. Just the opposite. Instead of crying for vengeance as he becomes the martyr, he says, Lord, don't count the sin against them. Dr. David Jeremiah describes this scene in this way. Those persecuted during the tribulation will be able to call for God's judgment in perfect propriety because the age of grace has ended. This is the day of the judgment of God. When do you think the day, the age of grace will end? Do you know? When the church is taken away, when the full number of Gentiles comes in and the tribulation begins, the day of grace, the error of grace has ended. Soon, the age of grace will end. Soon, the church age will end. Notice how different the call of these tribulation martyrs are from Stephen's call. Stephen said, don't hold it against them. That's not what these martyrs are saying. Revelation 6, 9, I'll read it again. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. And they shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? They're not saying don't hold it against them. They're saying no, hold it against them and avenge us. The era of grace is over. Then a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who are still on the earth, who were to be martyred, more are going to die. They're going to join the souls of the martyred under the altar. There are going to be more and more and more. And Jesus looks at them, God looks at them and says, wait a little longer. What is their reward, those martyred during the tribulation? Because ultimately you need to weigh and count the cost. What is their reward? What is worth dying for? Is their reward worth it? What if I told you that their reward was bigger than death itself? What would you trade martyrdom for? It would have to be something larger than death, right? What about today? Forget about the tribulation. Is the promised reward of Christ, is the future reward of Christ worth dying for? That's the challenge for the church. Is Jesus, is the word and the name worth dying for? Revelation 20, verse 4. And then I saw thrones and people sitting on them had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of all those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. There's those two things. They're still there. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue nor accepted his mark on their forehead or on their hands. They all came to life again. Are you with me? Resurrection. 
they all came to life again and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. What do you, what's the value of that? This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they're going to reign with Jesus for a thousand years. What's that worth? What I'm about to tell you is big. Tonight, I'm just going to tell you it's big. These martyred saints during the tribulation, these martyred saints during the tribulation are going to join, are going to join the raptured saints from the church age. And they're going to reign with Christ on this present earth in eternal glorified flesh, new bodies, for a thousand years. And that's before there's a new heaven and a new earth. Yes, that is the literal interpretation of Scripture. Now, what's the alternative to them? What's the value of that? How big is that promised reward? Is that worth dying for? That's the question. Is that worth dying for? You see, the second death has no power over me unless I surrender the word and the name. It has no power over me. I want to close tonight with a martyr's true story. It's powerful. Her name was Vibia Perpetua. Vibia Perpetua was a beautiful 22-year-old woman of noble birth who lived in Carthage in the year 203. She was married and had an infant son whom she was nursing. She had been studying Christianity when Emperor Septimus Severus issued a decree forbidding conversions to Judaism and Christianity. Ignoring the decree, Perpetua was baptized. Two days later, her conversion was discovered and she was imprisoned and condemned to death. Perpetua's pagan father came to the prison with her son in his arms to plead with her to renounce Christ and save her, her life. Give up the name and the word. Daughter, he said, have pity on my gray hairs. Have pity on thy father. Do not give me over to disgrace. Behold thy brothers, thy mother, and thy, and thy aunt. Behold thy child who cannot live without thee. Do not destroy us all. Perpetua wept at her father's grief and tried to comfort him. My father, you see this picture? Can we call it by any other name than what it is? No, he said. Nor can I call myself by any other name than that of Christian, she replied. In this trial, what God determines will take place. We are not in our own keeping, but God's. Her father left her, weeping bitterly. On March the 7th, Perpetua and another Christian woman were led into the arena. First they were scourged, and then a wild bull was loosed on them 
Perpetua was gored and mangled, yet she remained alive until gladiators entered the arena and stabbed her to death. Here's my question. What's worth dying for? What would you trade? More Christians were martyred in the 20th century than all previous centuries combined. Do you know that? It is illegal to be a Christian in North Korea, and some 50,000 Christians have been sent to forced labor camps there. All you got to do, all you got to do is deny the name and the word. Christians are persecuted in more than 65 of the world's 193 countries. In Nigeria, nearly 300 churches were destroyed. 612 Christians were killed in 2013. In India, anti-conversion laws have been adopted in five states, and these laws are frequently used as a pretext to disrupt or harass Christians. Pastors are frequently beaten or killed. Church buildings are destroyed, and converts are forced to flee their homes. All you got to do is give up the name and the word. More than one million of the 1.5 million Christians in Iraq have fled the country since the fall of Saddam Hussein. Why? Persecution. In Mosul, the ancient city of Nineveh, every remnant of, Christ of Christianity was destroyed and scattered. Some of the oldest churches in the world are no more. Recently, just recently, some Christians have returned to rebuild Iraq and Nineveh and Mosul, putting crosses back on top of buildings. I've watched some of the videos, and it makes me want to weep. Courage. We need courage today in the American church. Courage to stand on the Word. Courage to hold up the Bible, the Word of God, and the name of Jesus. To give a testimony. Yes, even unto death itself. Yes, even unto the loss of your name your property, even your life. Is this our church at Philadelphia moment? I can't help but wonder. Is this our church at Philadelphia moment because we would not deny the word or the name of Jesus? Will we be that generation that escapes the coming judgment and tribulation? I've got two scriptures I want to read and I'll close. The first comes from Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Jesus says, Because you have obeyed my command to persevere. I want you tonight as I read this to, to imagine that he is speaking to each one of us personally. This is written to a church, not pagan unbelievers. Churches in the church age, listen. Because you have obeyed my command. What's his command? Persevere. Don't you give up. Don't you surrender my name and don't you surrender my word. Don't trade them for what looks like security with the world. It's a lie. It's a trick. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I, Jesus, will protect you, witnesses, from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I'm coming soon. Suddenly. Hold on to what you have. 
Hold on to what you have so that no one will be able to take away your crown. Jesus himself instructs us how to pray. And if you've been here very long to church, you've heard me say this multiple times. It came out of a time of prayer and when God revealed something to me so powerful. And he's confirmed it on multiple occasions since. He gave me this scripture. In Luke 21, Jesus says this. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness or by the worries of this life. Don't you let that day catch you unaware. Don't you let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will, that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray. Pray what? Pray that you would be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. I pray that prayer every day. And tonight I'm going to close with that same prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for this name. This name above every name. There is no name under heaven whereby men can be saved except this name. We will not surrender this name and we will not surrender this word. For it is the name and the word that have associated us by faith with you, Father. We will not give up the author of life for the deceit of death. So, Father, tonight I pray this prayer upon myself, my family, this church. I pray that we would be strong enough to escape these coming horrors, stand before the Son of Man. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.